Hi, friends. Welcome to the Revenue Real Hotline, where twice a week we'll bring you conversations designed to help you make better decisions and find more joy while selling. I'm Amy Rahovchek, and I'll be your guide. Let's go. Yoav Zeus, welcome to the Revenue Real Hotline, new friend. I'm really grateful you decided to make some time for us today, and I thank you. Of course, I'm really happy to be here and excited to chat. Woo, can I have that in writing, please, sir? <laughs> okay, so Yoav, why don't we start, why don't you share with our listeners a little bit about who you are and what you do every day, and then we'll dive right in. That's a really philosophical question. I'm, I'm a dad of two young girls. I run the revenue team for a wonderful company called Contract Book. Revenue is basically the combination of sales and customer success. Um, so I oversee both pre-sales, sales, implementation, customer success, and support. So I work as an incredible company in the world of kind of contract automation and basically how we can make it easier for people to work with contracts because everyone hates working with contracts. So if we can help make that a little bit easier and better, that would be cool. And I say that as a recovering lawyer. Everybody hates contracts. <laughs> I guess it depends on the day. I, when those sales agreements would come in, the ones, the really big ones that you were waiting for, I don't hate contracts on those days. So like, other than that, though, I would say that most people do. Like, just yeah. the, like yeah. I don't know. I've come to have a special place in my heart for that particular type of contract and that particular action. But, you know, other than that, yeah, I'm with you. <laughs> but imagine, Amy, that you could have that thrill of a closed one deal without having all of the pain that comes before it, right? Without having all of the back and forth on word files and track changes and let's ask legal, what the hell does this mean? Like, you can keep the thrill without the cost. Imagine. The redlining spiral of doom? Is that what you're referring to? Oh, no. Yeah, like, oh, gosh. Okay. So also, I didn't know you were a girl dad. That makes a lot of sense, actually. Well, what tipped you off? Like, why does it make sense? <laughs> You're putting me on the spot. Okay. All right. Fine. It makes sense. So listeners, Ove and I chatted for about 15 minutes beforehand, and I am a big fan of Contract Book, and I'm a big fan of one of the women leaders on the team, as well as their head of content, Kate and Stephanie. Shout outs to you both. And so I've just heard wonderful things. Then I was looking at your LinkedIn profile, and you were very supportive of your teammates. And in our 12 minutes and talking, like your emotional, your EQ is really, really above average. And you've got a plant behind you. So like, I, there's just like, that also strikes me. My friend, so, shout out to a Danish male colleague of ours. Really? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but, but truly Augusta who runs marketing in the US, she's been making sure that like they don't die because I, I'm like struggling to, to keep the children alive. So just <laughs> oh man, that's great. And you know what? I respect the realness on that one. That was awesome. No, but I am, I'm paying you a compliment, sir. Like very, it's refreshing to speak with men in leadership positions and revenue leadership positions that you can just, you could taste the empathy. You could taste the competency around forming and creating and sustaining emotional connections. And it's rare, frankly. And so I see you. I'm glad you're here. So again, thank you. Thanks so much. Okay, so let's talk contracts. I watched something that you said and about the company, and it's like, I'm just going to quote back to what you said you about rebuilding the foundation of contracts that you work with companies of all sizes to help them work 
contracts in a smart way and be able to use all the data across their tech stack team. Okay, so I'm going to spare you a couple of the stories that I have during my time selling and then sales enabling around contracting, just because I've shared them a lot on the show. One time helping our team drop the contracting cycle from six months, six months by, you know, helping our sellers to do like a legal kickoff meeting, right? And get to get in front of that redlining spiraling. Then there was one time as, as a seller, you know, of where we acquired this product that wasn't doing as well as it could have been. It was a big win for our team, but we didn't inherit the contracts, a lot of the contracts that came with the new product. And because it took so much work to track down those SLAs and to even just try to stamp the the renewal start date, I mean, mind-blowingly difficult. And that was like seven, eight years ago. And And I find myself in now sales enablement roles, right? I've built out two departments and that getting to the heart of, okay, what's going on in the contracts is always, it's a heavy lift. And so I obviously, I sold into legal and I have a really big appreciation for legal tech companies. But that said, please tell me more about what great looks like when it comes to the data that you are acquiring in your contracts. And let's start with the SLA contracts. I know rental agreements are big with companies. I know employee contracts are relevant. But just for purposes of our conversation, like what is some of the data that lives in the these SLAs and how can teams do a better job extracting and applying that information ubiquitously across the organization? So I think that the main challenge is for most companies that the process of getting a contract out of the door is just very antiquated, right? It really hasn't changed since about 1993 when the PDF came out. And we basically have some sort of word processor, right? Whether that's Google Docs or Microsoft Word. And hopefully we have a template stored. The challenge is that maybe our legal department has created a template, but I've saved a different template on my desktop. Yeah. And as a seller myself, right? I've done this many times. I used the wrong template. Yeah. And then when I need to populate information inside that contract, I need to go to my CRM mm-hmm. and then I need to start pulling in what's the company name and what's the sum and wait, if it's in Denmark, the company, do I need to have a different version of the contract or do I need this, that or the other, right? So there's a lot of process of just manual inputs and then manual work to decide what gets included or not. And that's ridiculous, right? Like that's a ridiculous process to go through because yeah. at the end of the day, all a contract is, is data, right? A contract is the agreement between you and I, which is telling us what our obligations are, when things start, when things end. And I think that that starts off as a really manual process. And I think what good looks like is when I've decided that I want to send out a contract, it should be the push of a button to generate the right contract. And when I say the right contract, that's the right template with the right entities, with the right clauses. in Clauses, yeah, I was just going to say the clauses. And if you need anybody to sign off, right? Like I, I can remember many times when if you want to change the actual like service level agreement, right? You want to say, hey, we're going to give them six nines, uptime of six nines rather than five nines. Who needs to sign off on that? And it's just this black hole today where people are going back and forth on email or over the phone. And you can streamline that because there's no reason not to. Like, why are contracts the only thing that we've been like, hey, it's cool to work like we did 25 years ago? <laughs> it's funny because even in big law, I'm laughing remembering some of the stories about version control. And... Yeah, but when the industry's entire business model is based on the hourly billing model, right? We're all going to take as long as humanly possible to create or to do every single task. There are ripple effects to that. And it's almost 
Like, how can we find them or make renewals like a little bit less rip your hair out? You were spot on about the creation and the proper clauses. But when you were sharing your story, it jumped out at me that in that analogy, it's almost like the rep is or rep and their manager is responsible for putting together contracts, which assumes like there's not an attorney that's helping them yet. Maybe the company is too small or maybe there's such a backlog because they've got one contract attorney somewhere, there's communication issues. But what have you seen? Like, what is legal's role in this? And does that help more often or doesn't help? Or I don't know, you tell me, what have you seen? So I think that there's two different stories here. One of them is companies that don't have in-house legal. And if we can just make it easier for people to feel more confident in the way that they work with contracts, because, you know, we said before. Well, so back to the attorneys, like that assumes that you're going to be able to get them to sign off on that, like 1000% of everything that they touch is not art, right? There is actually process and repeatable steps in the context of what you're doing. You see that, Amy, like you see, especially with in-house counsels. I want to go back to what you said, though, about how selling are afraid of the contracts. And because I too have have seen this to be true. It was when Kate first started working at, at Contract Book, this was one of our first questions. I was like, it's awesome. You're selling legal tech, but it has the team with even engaging with the attorneys on their buyer's side. I guess what I'm trying to say is I was very fortunate in that I worked for Westlaw right? And so Thomson Reuters, and I was surrounded by salespeople that were also attorneys. And so the way that I learned about contracting was just so different. And I grew to love it, I guess I could say. And so how have you helped or worked with your team to be less afraid of both working in like on their own contracts, but also selling a product that generates so much fear for those that aren't necessarily attorneys. So I think one really helps to explain what a contract really is. And I think that people don't really understand why contracts exist. And they exist for two reasons, right? One of them is to detail kind of what you and I are agreeing to very simply. And the other one is to mitigate risk. I think that when you understand that risk mitigation is really everything inside contracts and you want to understand, for example, like what is your appetite for it? Like how much are you willing to put out there? It's a form of insurance. And I think that when you start thinking about it in that way, typically we work with lawyers and they'll tell you in sales agreements, 90 to 95% of the content is identical. Right, it's identical between contracts. And when you start understanding that, when sellers start understanding that, and all of our salespeople, none of them are lawyers. Right. And we typically don't sell to lawyers, by the way. We sell to companies that want to make it easier to work with contracts. And I think that there's a lot of people out there today which are trying to make this simpler because there's no reason. There's no reason for a software as a service contract to be 25 pages long. Like we're talking about risk, and when you're selling, a technology with tracking compensation or when you're yeah. video communications, like we have to be reasonable. I think that there is a backlash against it because I think that contracts are long because I had, when I was working as a lawyer, one of the partners there told me that people treat law as something that you weigh, like the longer it is, the better of a job you did. He said, I can't come to you with a one awesome precedent. Yeah, because you'll tell me that this one page contract is not worth as much as a 25 page contract. We need to change the way that people think about that. <laughs> Yeah, we do. But like, I'm with you a thousand percent. Like, yes, I buy, like, sign me up. And 
Then I think about the complexity of selling software, particularly maybe a category defining type software, or in an age when data rules are changing or vary from country to country. And so there is some complexity, particularly operating at a global scale. And there's a lot of moving parts. But I do think that there are some moving parts to the law, moving parts to the regions, moving parts to laws that are coming down. Like maybe there are some legislative bodies in some places that are actually doing things, but I wouldn't know anything about that as the United States human. But anyway, I digress. But it is complex and there is room for I think a tremendous amount of innovation, but it does require the attorneys that are participating to have an open mind on maybe, okay, yeah, I did go to a law school that trained me to identify and eliminate 1000% of risk in a 20,000 mile radius. Like that's how they were taught. And there wasn't a lot of business courses. And the attorneys that are operating inside these organizations, they still went to the same law schools. And so I don't know. I think collaboration is really important there, but it's almost like I don't know how you do it without them. I think that I think that there are forward thinking lawyers and we meet them and we talk to them and they it's funny, like if you think about lawyers, they kind of it's very black and white in the way that they respond to something like contract book. They either love it and get it or are afraid of it terribly. I think that what typically helps is the understanding that we're not there to replace what they do. We're there to help them focus on other things which provide more value. Because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, very complex contracts, it's going to take time before that's done by AI, quote unquote, right? I think that what we want to say to them today is like, For you as a lawyer, do you believe that you are providing significant value by reviewing an NDA for $500 an hour or whatever it is? Like, would your time not be better spent setting up the rules of engagement, providing the framework and letting automation do the rest in 80% of the cases when it's standard? Mm -hmm. Spend your time where you can make a difference. And I think that there are lawyers that really understand that and buy into it. And I think on the other hand, we're ahead of the game, right? I think even telling lawyers that they're not going to use PDFs And Microsoft Word is terrifying because they say, hey, we're used to this and this is the way it's always been. And like with any technology, we're looking at the early adopters and there are great lawyers out there who are early adopters. We're still in early innings. And you can see the companies around us, we've approached it from a bottoms up, right? Like we want to change the way contracts are built. Most companies in our space are not trying to change the way contracts are built. They're trying to take PDFs. They're trying to take Word files and do smarter things with them. But in my opinion, that's putting lipstick on a pig, right? That's, it's making a little bit prettier, making a little bit better, but you have to treat this problem from the source. And the source is the contracts are overly complicated, overly engineered, and can gain a lot from automation. All right, all. That wraps another installment of Revenue Real Hotline. Today's episode was produced by the fabulous Nian Fiedler. Naturally, I'd like to thank my guests for sharing their brilliance and stories with us. And thank you too, listener. I know you've got a ton of options and I appreciate you choosing us. For anyone who wants to support the show, do follow us wherever you listen and be sure to join us next time for more conversations designed to help you make better decisions and find more joy while selling. I'm Amy Rahovchik and that's a wrap.